Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Welcome friends to another episode of No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I am your host, Alicia Stickles. I'm also the executive director of No Heart Left Behind, and I am joined here with my favorite, my mom, founder, lead counsel of No Heart, Abby Shields. All around good woman. That's right. <laughs> so we have been working through this series, Marriage Broken Together. And essentially, it's just about two couples coming together with their wounds and unmet expectations and how to live broken, broken together. together. That's right. Um, and last week, we spent time with you and dad and I'm so glad that they got to hear the voice of the man I've been married to for 50 years <laughs> good voice good voice um and really just heard a lot about your story and how forgiveness and grace, grace and mercy really play a huge part in living broken together. And I have to say, if you did not listen to that episode, you should go back and listen to it because it's really powerful and encouraging just in the way that, as you always say, if God can heal y'all. God can heal my marriage. He can heal anybody's marriage. That's right. So, um, so today we are going to continue to look at living broken together. And there's really two areas that we're going to focus on today in this episode. And that. And I'm, I'm excited about these because I feel like they're really huge. And that is having Christ-centered communication and how to deal with conflict and how to work through conflict resolution. So, you up for that? It's a struggle, but I, I will be able to do it with <laughs> God's grace. <laughs> All right. So, let's talk about um, Christ-centered communication okay. uh, for a little bit first. What is... Christ-centered communication, because I know that it's out there that, oh, communication in couples is so important, but what what is specific about having Christ-centered communication? Well, if you remember, Christ communication is transferring of ideas from one person to the other, and um, you can do that through looks, you can do that through uh, body language, um, but where I see issues basically is in the words that people say to one another. Uh, that sentence, what, uh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Uh, that is a lie from the pit of hell um, because that's what I see people struggling with. And so the main focus of Christ-centered communication is taking a look at the question, are the words that are coming out of my mouth, would they be those that Christ would speak to someone and especially to 
for us, what we're discussing here is, are the words that are coming out of your mouth towards your spouse words that Christ would say to one another? So that's the basic foundational principle of Christ-centered communication. And I know you always talk about, um, I guess, reasons to communicate or three types of communication. Um, what? Right, right. Uh, great point. Um, we can communicate the way the world communicates or we can communicate the way Christ communicates. And so um, what I want to teach you is that the world's way of communication um, ultimately can oftentimes be a dead-end street where you're not you're not being able to communicate effectively. And so the, the first type of worldly communication is force. Uh, you use hurtful words, anger, um, hitting, throwing things. Um, that's force. And oftentimes that was the way that I communicated for so long because I was very, uh, very much an angry woman. And so I used force to get um, to communicate to my family. The second type of communication was manipulative behavior, like um, I'll give you $25 if you do this. That's the way I communicated with my children. If you behave, so it's the way that I um, kind of got them to do what I wanted them to do was, you know, if you clean up your room, I'll pay you 10 bucks. That's manipulative type communication. They loved it, but it's still not an effective way to I did like the I did like the money. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third form of communication is one that I am still very good at. I do not do it to the extent that I used to, but it's called passive aggressive communication and I see an awful lot of that in my office where the husband comes in and he's so frustrated because he says, I asked my wife, what's the matter, dear? And she goes, nothing, and walks off. And he knows that there's something wrong. So that that can cause a conflict between the, the, uh, the two of them in that communication. But as far as Christ-centered communication, um, it's what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? What, are, what type of body language are you showing your family or your spouse uh, just depends and, on who you're talking to yeah i feel like to saying what you mean and right. meaning what you what say. you say so yeah the passive aggressive form of communication really i think yeah. runs strong in our family it does. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting better but um that's a tough one it's very frustrating so um so now that we really know what it is, what, I mean, there's a lot of things that hinder that. It's like we kind of know this, or at least some people know this in their head, that I need to be direct. The word, You know, they may have grown up in church and know that the words coming out of my mouth need to be honoring, but that doesn't happen all the time. No. So what what are those things <laughs> that kind of get in the way of, of that happening? Well, the impacting variables for Christ-centered communication are, are many, but um, so we don't have time to go over all of them, but uh, I want to hit just on a few. The, the top one, I believe, is emotions, is that when we get our feelings hurt, we want to act uh, in such a way that we feel, well, they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them back, and we get into that push-push-back type of mentality, and, and so it's really recognizing your emotions. And one of the things that I try to show my clients in that aspect is that um, 
letting your emotions control and become your reality. And that's where Satan gets us in communication is that if I feel something, if I feel you don't like me, then it must be true that you don't like me. So then I'm going to respond back to you in a way to, to protect myself. Right. Okay, right. So em- emotions are a huge, huge issue. Okay. So what else besides, besides emotions, emotions yeah. um, fears, um, fear of rejection can prevent you from being honest in your communication style. Um, fear of uh, being controlled or fear of losing control can cause you to act in a way to be able to make sure that you um, get what you want. I feel like, too, and this is another one that I think gets overlooked. I, I find this in my marriage is um, I have the fear of hurting my spouse. Like if there's something that... I feel like I, um, either something that I'm feeling or something I'm angry about or, you know, something that I feel like needs to be pointed out. A lot of times I'm scared to, com- to say communicate that. because I know how he responds. Like he gets upset and he gets very shame based and stuff like that. So a lot of times I won't communicate how I'm feeling because. I'm scared of what it's going to do to him. And that's not good either because then I hold in your frustration, my frustration and resentment and, and I don't communicate to him what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, That, I mean, that, that's something in our relationship. Carrie like has to drag it out of me Mm -hmm. because I don't want, I don't like the way that he receives it. And so I'm trying to control that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what else? Uh, values get in the way of communication that I communicate more from feelings and fa- uh, feelings and spontaneity and fun and that eh, don't worry about it uh, it'll it'll be fine but I might as well be going womp 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 to my husband because he communicates more from facts and structure and order and so for me to say oh don't worry about it He's not going to understand that. And that, that a lot of that comes out of your value system. What do you value? And if I value freedom and fun and spontaneity and he values structure and order, then we're going to have communication disconnects. Yeah. we. So, again, I feel like you're speaking my language here because I just think about um, my husband and I in that. I am very, like, spontaneous and relational. And so if, like, something... You know, if someone invites us somewhere, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it because mm-hmm. it just sounds like fun. And I'm just like all in. And then sometimes I'll even forget to mention it to him or I'll mention it to him last minute. And I'll be like, hey, so-and-so is coming over tonight or we're going there. And it completely throws him because I haven't checked the schedule and I haven't, um, you know, planned enough time in advance. He always says... He says, Alicia, you're an A to Z thinker and I'm the B to Y. Like, I'm just already thinking about the celebration and how fun it's going to be or whatever based on, because that's what I value. And he his value is the planning. And so um, he gets frustrated and we're not, I realize I need to communicate to him ahead of time and and it's hard. It is it's hard, just hard. But the val- it's very true. Like the values and what's important to us really affects um, communication. how we um, communicate. Mm-hmm. So I keep saying 
and we're going to get to conflict because it does seem like these communication breakdowns can cause a lot of conflict. But before we jump into that, um, how do we like, I guess what I'm trying to say is how do we flesh this out? I guess in terms of what are some things that you can bring into your marriage to practice because it's like I can have all this head knowledge, but when I'm in it, the day to day, what are some things to kind of remember and try to bring in for our listeners into their marriage to right. help facilitate all of this Christ-centered communication right. that we're talking about? Right. Well, there's a scripture in Philippians 4, 9 that says, whatever you've heard, whatever you've seen, whatever you've learned, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And that's, that is very apropos for communication as well, is that if you just listen to this stuff, but you don't put it into practice, then you're going to have some issues there. So that's basically the foundational thing. So let's take a look at some of the scriptures that he wants you to put into practice. And the first one um, is remember that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so in remembering that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, remember God wants us to put this into practice. And that scripture is Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up and pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. The, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A quarter, three strands is not easily broken. That is the basis of all communication to bring that in. Christ-centered communication is to bring him into the re relationship. Um, one of the things that I do with my clients is that I have uh, two matches, and I um, two wooden matches, and I have them... Um, try to break the two matches, and it's very easy to break that those two matches. I add a third match, and they can't break it because it's that third strand that somehow or another takes the tension away from the other two. So that's a very important thing. If you can't remember anything, remember that, to put Christ at the center of your marriage, and your communication will follow. Okay. Another thing is use, use communication not to control, but to influence. That's really important um, to, because your words and your actions influence your spouse. And that can be either influencing in a positive way or influencing in a negative way. The way that I try to teach my clients this concept is basically... How do you feel when you spend time around Christ? I don't know about you, but when I'm in the Word and I'm spending time with Him, I love the way I feel about me when I'm around Jesus. Well, He wants us to use that same concept in our communication yeah. is that ask yourself or your spouse can say, I love the way I feel about me when I'm around my spouse because the Christ-centered communication is one that lifts me up and encourages me and, and can, might convict me but never condemns me. Yeah. And that's key. And I think realizing um, that we don't have control of our spouses, right. you know, because that gets back to what you were saying at the very beginning about trying to manipulate with our communication. Right. Um, another word for manipulate is to control. And so when we release or when we believe the, um, the truth that we don't have control over our spouse or even our children right. that we only have influence that that can change the way we communicate right yeah and just make sure your influence is one that they walk away feeling 
positive or lifted up lifted as up. opposed right. to down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then and then um, basically what I to sum up what I ba- just said is that people will become what I encourage them to become. Okay. More than if I coerce them to to be something. In other words, you either can influence them or coerce them or encourage them. What do you, the choice is yours? And what would what would coercing somebody look like in communication? Threatening them, tell, um, making you statements like you always do this, you always do that, you never do this, you never do that. Mm-hmm. And okay, that's basically what. You know, trying to force them or make them feel guilty or shame them into behaving a certain way. Right. Because you know, again, that gets back to that right. control. Right. Yeah, and then so those are the those are the most important things I think. But then you know, other things in in um, communication is um, be aware and honor and accept the gender differences that men are from Mars, women are from Venus. There is some truth to that. Um, taking a look at your communication styles. Uh, women communicate, oftentimes they go seven miles around and go around and around and around and they finally get to the point. Men get upset with that because they like, just get to the facts, just give me the facts. But the woman is there going from here to bunky and back. And I also find that like with men and women, a big thing is women communicate for like, as because we're relational, it's all about the feelings and the relationship and men communicate to fix the problem. Right. And so when those two things happen, it's, there can be some tension there, um, you know, with that. When things are going well, I feel like communication, it's a little smoother. There's not really a lot of issues there. You know, we're able to practice all of these things that we've been talking about, but the kicker comes when disagreements and unmet expectations um, and conflict come in. So for the last part of the episode, I'd really like to pivot here and talk about conflict resolution because this is a big issue. I mean, it's not about not having conflict in marriage because you're going to have conflict Um, I think early on in my marriage, I thought the goal was to not fight, but that that's not the case. It's almost how to resolve the conflict well. So want to talk about what that looks like to have Christ centered um, conflict resolution. So when conflict arises, mom, um, what is the most important thing you tell the couples you're working with um, when they're facing any kind of conflict? I think I think the number one thing that I really try to focus in on uh, with them is the number one thing is to identify the root of the conflict. Okay. Okay. And God has His own wonderful conflict resolution one on one scripture in the Bible, and that is James chapter four one and two that says, "Why do you quarrel and fight?" I mean, He's asking us that question. It's, it's kind of like, "Hey, why are you and Curry fighting?" And, um, and so, but he answers, he gives me the answers because I'm going, well, because I, I don't like my husband or I'm angry at him or whatever. And God says, no, no, no. The reason you're quarreling fighting is because you want something and you're not getting it. You want something and you covet and quarrel. Okay. Bottom line, what I try to have them identify to step back and to say, okay, what is it that I'm not getting in this 
conversation. Okay, mm-hmm. and so oftentimes <laughs> it has to do with spiritual issues, not necessarily worldly issues. And bottom, it, it, we have a tendency to fight about um, not feeling significant. Basically, you want something and you don't get it. Okay, and so I try to help them identify. What is it that you're not getting? What do you want in this? And that's where I try to teach them to step back and pause and say, okay, first of all, get my emotions under control so that I have the capability and the capacity to look at what I'm not getting from a rational position, not a out of control emotional type stuff. And a lot of times I feel like the conflict that is happening currently is really about something deeper right? in addition to. So it's, you know, we're getting triggered by those things that we want from our spouse, like security or acceptance or belonging or all those things or that we've signif- talked about or significance. Yes, not, and, I, and I think a lot of it has to do with not feeling that they matter to their spouse. Yes. That's a huge one. Yes. So mm-hmm. a lot of times the con- the present conflict is really about something much deeper. So the the time that we can take to step back and really examine, okay, what is it that I'm not getting? So like, yes, I might not be getting um, the answer that I want from my spouse, but what else is it about? Like, what am I really getting angry about? What scab from my past life or my past days is being picked off? Right. You know? Right. Okay. And then the the next thing that I try to get to encourage them to do is um, remember who the real enemy is and accept that neither party is the bad guy. And I think you have said, Alicia, about that the bad guy is not your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Satan is the enemy. And um, if I learned anything in my early days in conflict with my husband as I was pouring through the word, it was this, that your husband is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy and he wants nothing more than to destroy your family. And he's, that's why this ministry exists is because Satan is doing a great job ruining families, attacking families, um, children being passed back and forth. And there's no security in their life in that aspect. And um, so, so it's really, really important that you remember that. There's a scripture, it's um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour his prey. And that scripture right there can help you in this in conflict resolution by remembering, first of all, Satan prowls around it. So it's Satan prowling around like a roaring lion. It's not your husband it's, or your spouse. It's Satan um, prowling around like a roaring lion, waiting to devour his prey. Now, I love the fact that God put this in here because it helps me teach couples that they can hear Satan coming. Because if you look at it, does a real world lion roar before it pounces on its prey? No. And so that means that, okay, you're going to hear Satan coming, And you can hear Satan coming when you begin to get irritated or frustrated because there's five stages of anger. There's five stages that lead up to conflict. One is irritation. The second one is frustration. Third one is anger. Fourth one's rage. And the fifth one is aggression. So 
I try to teach and I live myself is that's to step back when I feel irritated and frustrated because that's where Satan is going to get me at that moment. Okay. And so I then, if I don't step back and say, what am I irritated about? Or what am I frustrated about? And I make my spouse the enemy, then I'm going to go right into the next three stages, stages of anger, which is anger, rage, and then hopefully not aggression. But that used to be me. Yeah. And, and I think, too, it's interesting, just the small little paradigm shift is that, you know, because if I'm feeling attacked by someone, the natural, I think, reaction is to fight back. Fight back. And so if I'm viewing my spouse as the person that's attacking me, then I'm going to attack back. Whereas if I can remember that, you know, Satan is the enemy and he is the one attacking me and attacking my marriage, then I'm no longer going to push back and attack my spouse. I'm going to attack the enemy, which, and again, the problem that he is bringing. And so you shift um, your energy. And it's, it's interesting what that little paradigm shift does in terms of allowing room to then resolve and work on the problem and not beat each other up. Beat each other up. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I was trying to tell is focus on the problem. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on a solution to the problem. Yeah. But if you're always focused on the problem, you're never going to get to the other side. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so what are some other things that are key for conflict resolution? There is a scripture, Matthew 7, 5, that says that we are to take the log out of our own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And that is so true. But when people come into the office, they come in wanting to tell me all the horrible things that their spouse is doing. And then the other one says, tells the other person all the horrible things that their other spouse is, that their spouse is doing. Okay. And I don't allow that um, because um, the way God wants us to resolve conflict is to take a look at what is your responsibility to the disconnect of this marriage and i that's what I, i'll ask the wife what is your dis, what is your responsibility to the disconnect of this marriage and i'll ask the husband the same thing because her telling me all the horrible things the husband does and vice versa they walk out of there feeling worse than they did when they came in the office and um that's a powerful scripture to practice. That's one that I ask them to put into practice. What is your responsibility to this fight or to this conflict? And then the same thing to the other spouse. Yeah, because again, going back to not being able to control our spouse, you know, we can only control our own behavior and our own responses. And so I try to remember that in my marriage is that I can't control Carrie. All I can control is how I respond to him. And so I can control my words, my actions, and um, what I'm focused on. I can't control what he does. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I have to look at, all right, what is my part in this conflict? And is there anything that I can, I can change about it? And if there isn't, then I still can't control my husband. I have to go to the Lord and ask, you know, for him to do the heart work, either in me or in my husband, in order to bring about um, the resolution. I can remember there one of the biggest things that uh, my husband and I had conflict over was where we were going to send our kids to school. I was very much um, feeling adamantly that um, 
our kids needed to go to private school because there were just some things that they couldn't get from the public school that especially our oldest needed. And he was not on the same page. I mean, we could not have been farther apart um, on that decision. And there were some pretty heated conversations and probably even some yelling matches. But when it came down to it, I think the most, I guess, fruitful or helpful thing that we did was pray and ask God because God is a God of unity. And so I would pray, Lord, you know, unify our hearts, whatever that looks like, whether that was God changing my heart about needing our kids to go to private school or vice versa. Um, It was all about, let us have unity in this, um, in this situation. And sometimes the only unity that comes is to agree to disagree, you know? Um, So I think that is really big in dealing with conflict is where's the Holy Spirit and where is the prayer and the Lord's guidance in walking through the issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It gives you praying and being in the word gives you God's perspective to be able to look at things rather than from your broken heart and um, so that you can be united and God's perspective is what it's all about. Yeah. So any final thoughts in terms of conflict resolution? I mean, we've talked about, you know, the communication part, just about having um, Christ-centered communication when we're resolving conflict of speaking words that build up um, and not tear down and not trying to manipulate and control um, and then in conflict, attacking the problem and not the person. What is there any other scriptures or um, things that you tell the couples that come in your office? Yeah. Oh. Um, I don't even know where to begin on that question. But um, one of the things that I do is I ask myself, how important is this really? Is this a mountain I want to die on? Is this really something that I'm going to die on this mountain? And 90% of the time, it's not a mountain. It's really a molehill. I do a conflict resolution program called Making Molehills Out of Mountains because that's really what God desires for us is that it's let him take care of it and us step back and radiate him, you know. I do think, though, there are some times where it is a mountain oh, absolutely. worth yeah. dying on. And I think it's at that, those points, but you can die on a mountain in in a way that is honoring, honoring right. as opposed to a way that is hurtful is hurtful mm-hmm. and tearing down. I mean, boundaries are very, very important. important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so it's not that I'm, I don't ever die on a mountain. It's just that, you know, if I'm going to die on the mountain of not getting the shower curtain I want in my bathroom, then that's not a mountain that God wants me to die on. Because right. a thousand years from now, will a hundred pygmies care if I had a blue shower curtain or a red shower curtain? I mean, I use that as an example because I, three years ago, I had a couple in my office that was getting a divorce over a shower curtain. Mm. And so that's what I mean by that. Is this really trivial issues? Trivial issues. Yeah. Yes. You know that that's the that's a key thing. Yeah. The good news is they ended up not getting a divorce. So uh, we we worked <laughs> it out that they were able to get a shower curtain that both of them liked. Oh my so, goodness. So you know that that's what I mean by that. Yeah. yeah. But then also, um, I think ultimately, 
Finally, there's a scripture, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, 23 and 24, that we are to entrust the situation to the one who judges justly, okay? And remember, we started this podcast out talking about Christ-centered communication, and so this is a scripture that um, I go to oftentimes for myself, is that, and it says, um, when they hurled their insults at him, Jesus didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Okay, so what does that even look like? Yeah. And so I, th- I think for that, it has to do with, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? And you can speak to that, Alicia, more about... Yeah, well, <laughs> you say I can speak to it, but... One of the things that you had always told us um, before we got married was whenever we faced conflict, the question that you ask yourself is, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? reconciled? Meaning that um, are, is, is your energy, as in like your communication, efforts. your efforts, your focuses, are they all pointed more towards trying to convince your spouse that you're right and that this is the way it should go and this is how the conflict should be handled? Or are your words and your efforts and your focuses more about being reconciled? That it doesn't matter in the end who's right here. It's more important that we are reconciled, even if that means me laying down my ideas of how things should go um, so that we can be and, and compromise and all of that stuff so that we can be reconciled right. to each other. Right. And, and at the center of all of that, and we'll be talking about that in another episode is, um, love, loving each other well. Yeah. And, and, um, that ultimately is redemptive love and redemptive love is sacrificial love that I love my husband enough to sacrifice what I need to come under him and lift him up and love him well. Yeah, because the goal, if I'm working towards being right, that's going to have a very different outcome in a conflict than if I am working towards being reconciled. Right. And like you said, it, it really all just boils down to loving somebody well. Welcome to my, I guess my favorite part of the Why episode. Is it your favorite part? I don't know. I just like the idea that someone putting me lis- on the spot. Yes, <laughs> and I like the idea that someone listening far away could feel like they're curled up on your couch and could <laughs> ask you any question. And yeah, maybe a little that it puts you on the spot. It does put me on the spot. I don't know. Okay, so the question for this counselor's corner it is from Casey. How do I know the difference between micromanaging my older teen with homework, grades, and other issues and coming alongside of them and holding him or her responsible? Keyword there is micromanage. I mean, micromanage means you're doing it for them, you're looking over, you're correcting them, you're um, basically coddling him right? versus walking alongside uh, means to be there with a shoulder for them to lean on or when when life gets hard but it's letting them i think the biggest thing is allowing them to make mistakes because in my world i don't believe that there are mistakes just lessons and god 
gives us lessons or he, he allows us to make mistakes so we can learn from those mistakes. I think the hardest part about that is that means that we have to allow our kids to fail. Amen. And, and, that, and that is so hard. I can remember Alicia, she didn't have a, a negative experience of failing or losing or anything until she was in first grade with her roller derby or a, whatever, <laughs> oh, no. that, that a derby thing, whatever you were involved in. It was in. a roller derby. We had to make a box car. Right. And her car didn't win. <laughs> and she came home devastated. And it was at that moment I realized what I had done up until the time she was six was that I was protecting her from the pain of the world. And God... Or the pain of just failing. The pain of failing, yeah. And um, so... If I, I hope that answers your question because that, that's, a, that's a great question. Are you going to step back and walk alongside of them and be there when they fail? Or As when opposed they... to fixing their mistakes yes. so they don't fail. Right. I think that's the, would you say that's kind of the measuring meter to know whether you're micromanaging or you're walking alongside? I think you'll know when you're micromanaging when your teenager says, get out of my life, because the teenager's greatest fear is the fear of being controlled, and a parent's greatest fear is the fear of losing control, and oftentimes that's why parents micromanage, is they don't want to lose control of their child. But as the, the purpose of the teenage years is for them to begin that process of breaking away from the parents' decision-making and allowing them to make their decisions, but they're, sometimes they're going to make not such a good decision. And then when that happens, what do you? What would you always do with us? <laughs> it would drive me crazy in the moment, but it's so true. <laughs> and now I do it with my kids, so I get to drive them crazy. When they would make mistakes and or they would, there would be a lesson involved in their life, the three questions that I would ask them that I think God even asks me today is what happened, what did you learn, and what are you going to do different? I think that's guiding and walking along. That's not micromanaging and allowing them to do the process rather than you lecturing them because your teenager is going to clock out and they're not even going to listen to you. So you want to keep them involved in the conversation of what happened, have them explain it, what you learn, and then what are you going to do different? Because we definitely, I feel like it's better for our kids to learn how to learn from mistakes while they're under our roof Absolutely. than when they're gone. When they're and gone. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer. Mm -hmm.